Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Chuck Schumer was talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Went to CSIS talk about a bipartisan effort to get our arms around this whole technology Mm -hmm. and that of course is easier said than done yeah especially when the technology is moving at the speed it's moving sure and washington moves at the speed it moves now you're known for covering crypto (laughs) and it's not unlike the idea where you have lawmakers all arguing over something that they don't quite understand Mm -hmm. but in this case they seem to be acknowledging that and they've been setting up these series of briefings and learning sessions to get everybody up to speed. Here's the majority leader uh, just a week ago. It is clear that the private sector is making advances, but the private sector can't do it alone. And the combination of our government and Congress working with the private sector to make sure that we innovate way ahead of everybody else, but at the same time that there are safeguards so that innovation doesn't get out of control or be used for negative purposes. I don't know, though. It's supposed to be bipartisan. We actually asked Marshall Blackburn about it a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. He name-checked her. He said, I need Republicans to make this happen. Uh, but what form it will take remains a question. Megan Scully is with us in studio. She'll figure all of this out for us, right, Megan? Bloomberg News Congress <laughs> team leader. Uh, the attempt to regulate something that you don't understand is a pretty tough job, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we've seen this in the past. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Congress try to do this with um, with the Internet early mm-hmm. on and, and Internet. certainly with crypto more yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and Congress does not really like regulating technology. It has a long history of avoiding this or trying to until it gets to the point where they don't have any other choice. Just because, as Kaylee said, technology evolves at a much faster rate than Washington moves. So you have this this sort of weird dynamic going on right now. And as you mentioned, tons of closed door learning sessions for members of Congress where the very people who they are seeking to regulate are bringing them up to speed on the technology Mm -hmm. that they are looking into. What could go wrong? I'm seriously, right? Um, so it's just this—it's this kind of weird movement. You know, Schumer, I think, said it was—it was the most difficult thing that Congress was going to do in in the coming months. Um, and I think months is probably an optimistic time frame mm-hmm. in terms of regulation. So now they're trying—they're talking safeguards, which is what they talk about when there is no regulation, oh, no. right? <laughs> And companies sort of regulating themselves. So you've seen this movie before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the buzzwords. (laughs) And it really sounds a lot like crypto. Sure does. Including the safeguards, guardrails, another thing you often hear. you got to put some guardrails around this. Just no one really knows what they should look like or what exactly they're guarding around. So I guess it begs the question, Megan, is, are we likely to see this addressed like as an individual issue? Or are we just going to start seeing AI things embedded into other legislative efforts, Mm. whether it's related to defense or competition or things like that? Well, considering it's difficult to get any legislation through Congress right now, but you do have a few must-pass 
bills. Mm-hmm. You mentioned defense, and we have the defense authorization bill being debated now on the Senate floor. Um, I, I think that you're going to see kind of a patchwork framework of, um, now I'm speaking in, in, <laughs> <laughs> in the guardrail technology. The language uh, is contagious. Can't escape. <laughs> um, but you're going to, it's it's going to be bits and pieces here and there, mm-hmm. I I suspect, rather than. So no a, comprehensive bipartisan. No, no, and you're seeing that now because there are several bills, for instance, that have been mm-hmm. introduced, but none has really rose to the surface as being the AI mm-hmm. bill. And you have so many competing interests here as well. You have the big tech companies, the Googles and whatnot, um, who are, are educating Congress on it. But then you also have these small tech companies who who fear that regulation is going to hinder them. Yeah. Right. Then overlaying all of this, obviously, is concerns about competition with China right. and mm-hmm. not wanting to slow down our pace at all. Right. So it's, it's extremely complex. And uh, probably too complex for for a divided Congress to deal with quickly well, an and cohesively. Well. You've been covering the Hill for a minute, uh, more than a minute. Thanks. Uh, two minutes. <laughs> you ever heard of an all senators briefing before like this? A closed door, all not D's or R's, not a particular caucus, not a leadership, but the, everyone. So they like do. We saw last week. Yeah. So it was the first time we've seen it on AI. Okay. Um, it is. Interesting for a policy area or a tech area. Usually, when we see an all senators classified briefing, it's you know on Ukraine or you know, yeah. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. That there definitely was a sense of urgency in in terms of um, how they handled it and 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 with the level of secrecy with which they they wow. did. Thanks for coming in, Megan Scully uh, runs our Congress team here in the newsroom. In Washington, D.C. at Bloomberg. We thank you as always, Megan. This point, there's so many different applications that we're talking about potentially mm-hmm. here, which also makes this really complicated, Kaylee. You know, we're talking about uh, chatbots, you know, right. use of, uh, of, of some of the lower hanging fruit or military applications, which get way more complicated and much more dangerous as soon as you start to wade into those waters. Yeah, absolutely. Or even things like transportation, like yep. Tesla. Yep. Investing heavily in AI and in autonomous driving. I mean, there's so many different tentacles to it, which is why I was asking, you know, are we going to see this kind of departmentalized transport issues, defense issues, or because it seems like it's touching every area of our society. But defense is is a very big one. And from a national security standpoint, maybe that's where there's greatest impetus to to try to start those efforts. Right. We're going to get into all of this uh, now with John Costello, the deputy director of the Wadwani Center for AI and Advanced Technologies at CSIS. That's where, again, uh, Chuck Schumer went to deliver that speech a couple of weeks ago, the Center for Strategic and International Studies here in Washington. Uh, John, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Let's start uh, on a a broader level here, and then maybe we'll drill down a little bit. Do you have any hope that the senators who are being briefed on AI will be able to find a path to regulation? Um. Hope springs eternal. I think uh, I think what we're seeing in this issue, Vice, I think tech issues that we've seen before is certainly a political will and a uh, political will coupled with an acknowledgement that unless uh, something is done, you have uh, technological change can outpace society and our ability to really handle it and handle it responsibly. And so I am I am hopeful that Congress can find a path. I think the timeline for that obviously is 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 fungible and flexible. Um, but I, I, I'm seeing a little bit of a wind change from what we've seen before. So as we're talking about pace and how there may be 
a pace mismatch with how fast the technology and the technology companies that are developing it are moving versus kind of these regulatory efforts. Is this just going to be a scenario where the industry has to self-regulate at least for the time being? And can they do that in a consistent way? I think um, I think that's a good question. I, I think for some things that are that they may have identified as best practices. I think things that um, that uh, you know can can address some of the government's concerns. I think that's that's certainly true, and you you are seeing certainly the big players uh, start to get together and, and, and try to uh, put some boundaries or to put some uh, rules and adopt those best practices universally. But it doesn't cover everyone. Um, it doesn't cover uh, up and comers in the space, and it certainly provides no guarantee. Uh, to the public and to uh, other companies that um, their competitors aren't going to limit themselves in that way. You, you want to have a, a, a fair ecosystem. I think it's also history has, has shown us on tech that um, you can convince companies to uh, adopt best practices and voluntary ones, but asking them to not pursue a particular line of business that their competitor is pursuing or that international companies that they compete with are pursuing that's it's, it's really difficult. And only legislation and law can really tell companies uh, not to do that by providing that level playing field, whereas that is not uh, that is not an area we want you to sell in. It's not a type of product product you, we want you to sell in and uh, um, things that cost uh, like that or, um, you know, reduce uh, uh, profit opportunity. Well, so what can lawmakers do right now, John? I'd love to get as specific as we can because we talked, you know, we were discussing earlier how much jargon there is, you know, with guardrails, safeguards. Like, what what can we actually do here? Could they, for instance, uh, would, it, would it be a requirement uh, to show the information or data that you're feeding uh, your your AI or your, your language model? Um, the big concern, of course, is, you know, AI eventually turning on humans. And I don't think that's going to be happening in the next five minutes. So what would count now? Yeah. So what counts now, really? Um, some of the some of the bills have been introduced to this effect. Uh, Gary Peters, for instance, Senator Peters introduced uh, a bill in the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee um, where uh, government agencies would have to report or make it transparent when they're using AI to make decisions that would impact the public. Um, and uh, included a right to appeal a decision that was uh, in heavily informed or made by uh, an algorithm. Um, you know, Congress can direct uh, uh, investment on technical problems we know uh, that need to be solved to make regulation effective or at least to make uh, safety effective. There's something that's called the transparency and explainability problem. Um, right now, AI is a little bit of a black box. So you put a bunch of stuff in it, um, it learns and then eventually learns to spit that out, but it has trouble explaining how it reached that conclusion. Um, that's usually good for something small, but when you're making decisions uh, based on combat or based on public policy, um, obviously you need to have the ability uh, to scrutinize that and understand. Um, so th those are things that they can do. They can also ask the government, existing regulators and under existing law to study or to adopt rules that can um, that can update their own regulations to account for AI. Um, there's a lot that existing law can do in areas where it already applies, and yeah. they can get ahead of the ball in that way. Well, John, you just mentioned combat, and this is a conversation, Joe, that you've had before 
with Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton from Massachusetts. He raised this very issue, the idea of AI and warfare and weaponry. This is what he said. There are no moral guidelines. There's no moral compass for autonomous weapons, or at least it's very easy to shut it off. And given the destruction, I mean, I mean, Vladimir Putin is literally erasing Ukrainian cities. You can very easily imagine him flipping that switch. That's what's so dangerous about this. I think it could be even more dangerous than nuclear weapons because we haven't established any kinds of restrictions. We haven't established any international treaties, no Geneva conventions uh, to restrict how this is used. So is that what we need, John, a Geneva convention for AI? Um, I, you know, I think. Geneva Conventions, I, I think states setting norms on what they can expect from each other and what um, what where they're willing to restrain themselves for the betterment of a collective whole, like like we've done a little bit with with nuclear weapons or biological and chemical warfare, um, I think is I think is something a lot of states are considering on how to pursue. Um, obviously, the international. <laughs> Uh, uh, community right now is a little uh, can be a little uh, fractured or federated, but I think most states agree that um, that there is potential harm here if this becomes you know universally adopted. We can enter an age of warfare that is uh, you know very uh, dangerous and dystopian. I think once they realize that um, finding a pathway to get some level of agreement uh, it will be viable. Um, mm-hmm. But I. I I do know that is uh, in contention, and that's uh, a lot of states uh, are talking about that and, and considering how to proceed. Hey, John, we only have a minute left. What do lawmakers need to know that they do not today? Um, they need to know, uh, like at its core, what are the what are the real technical uh, uh, issues or technical problems? Um, uh, for AI that contributes to issues like like you mentioned, how do how do we how do we trust that it we're going to maintain control? Like, yeah, right. how do we trust that it it, it can explain its decisions? And its decisions Are you helping to teach them that? Is CSIS briefing them? We uh, we we work we briefed uh, members of Congress before. We continue to brief members of Congress, and we expect to continue to work with them along with our uh, other think tanks in the area. This is yeah. something that we are focused on uh, for a certainty. My God, you've got the future of humanity in the palm of your hands here, John. Be careful. John (laughs) Costello, CSIS. He's at the Wadwani Center for AI and Advanced Technologies at CSIS. I don't know, uh, Kaylee, it's just it's something that it's going to be a slow roll. And to your point, AI is not slowing down for it. No, in fact, it's moving at quite a clip, Joe, Uh perhaps a terrifyingly quick clip. I still want someone to tell me when the machines take over. I want to just do some scheduling around that. (laughs) This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. And some interesting hearings on Capitol Hill just in the last 24 hours. You could argue messaging hearings because they don't seem to be generating or at least planned on generating legislation. Isn't that the point of a hearing that it ends up at some point, Kaylee, becoming a bill? Yes, she (laughs) says with a question mark. Right, but, you know, that's just not always uh, the way it goes. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. That is Kaylee Lines, and we're going to have a conversation uh, with Mike Dorning, who is watching some of these hearings so you don't have to. Uh, today it was uh, it was RFK Jr. Yes, invited to Capitol Hill by none other than Jim Jordan, mm-hmm. the Republican chairman, wants to talk to the Democratic presidential candidate, uh, who he seems to be a fan of. And I'm still not even sure what the whole point of the exercise was, but RFK Jr. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I did not like the idea of being framed as anti-vax. This is something that we've been hearing about a lot lately. At one point you say I'm anti-vax and that's a bad thing. The other thing, the (laughs) other moment you point out that all my children are vax. I'm fully compliant with the vaccine schedule myself, except for COVID. I, I, I took flu vaccines for 20 years straight. I have never been an anti-vax. I have never told any, I have never told the public avoid vaccination. The only thing I've asked for, and my views are constantly misrepresented so that the truth of what I believe is not, we're not allowed to have a conversation about that with the American people, which I believe vaccines should be tested with the same rigor as other medicines and medications. All right, so there's a taste uh, for you. Mike Dorning uh, is with us in studio, Bloomberg News Deputy Congressional Editor. What was this all about? What was the committee what was the purpose of the hearing well in theory it was about internet censorship uh but really oh. it was about amplifying a democratic presidential candidate who's problematic to president biden because you know potentially he could show some weakness among democrats in their support for president biden uh as you know uh whatever uh, uh mr kennedy's current um explanation of his views on vaccines are a lot of people who have doubts about vaccines have sort of clustered around him. And he Uh did talk a lot about supposed links between vaccine and autism and other things for Mm -hmm. many years. Sure did. Well, and when you say that this was about kind of censorship, that was the premise of the hearing. And then he said during the hearing that he was being censored when Democratic members of the committee objected to what he was saying, some of what... Mm -hmm. He was saying, and it was kind of like the person testifying and the Republicans were 
the ones on the same side going against the Democrats on this, which is a reversal of the d- dynamic that we have uh, seen as of late in this committee, at least usually yeah. the target is being targeted by Republicans. But it just kind of all speaks to this issue of free speech and a conservative feeling largely that their voices aren't aren't heard, that they are silenced on things like media, social media, etc. Well, also, it it's speaks to the prevalence of conspiracy theories these days and things like you know the the comments that he was that the Democrats were objecting to were assertions that uh, uh, Kennedy made about um, Caucasians and uh, a and black people being disproportionately vulnerable to covid vaccines yeah. or covid and COVID-19. that uh, somehow, supposedly, Ashkenazi Jews and Asians weren't vulnerable, um, which you know was suggestive that it was somehow a plot against uh, racially targeted racial yeah. groups. Uh, well, so uh, over in the Oversight uh, Committee mm-hmm. yesterday was all about Hunter Biden, uh, a hearing regarding IRS whistleblowers tied to a probe into the president and his son. Uh, and, and the hearing devolved very quickly into I don't even know what when Marjorie Taylor Greene decided to hold up an image, a pornographic image of Hunter Biden. Well, use your imagination. Um, this this is evidence uh, <laughs> of, of Hunter Biden making sex. Excuse me. This is my time. Coming making of, pornography. Should we be displaying this, Mr. Chairman? Yeah, that's the ranking member. They did display it. She had it held up on an easel, as Jared Moskowitz uh, pointed out. That was some intern's job to produce that content. In an effort to own Hunter Biden, okay, they're assembling nude photos of him, right? Having some intern have to sit in a room and blow up these photos and put it on poster board and figure out, oh, which ones are beyond the pale. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh claimed, Mike, that that was a first, an historic first, where pornography was shown in a congressional hearing. Again, what is the point of the exercise? It's not about legislation. No, it's not. Um, What it's about is Congress can't really do anything at the moment. Mostly they're log jammed with like partisan divisions and infighting inside the Republicans. They really have nothing better to do with their time in Washington, so they may as well use it to score some political points that they hope will either help them with their base or help them with the campaign later on. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not like Congress has never been cared about politics before. I mean, it probably has as much to do with the inability to get substantive stuff done as Mm -hmm. anything else, and then just the tenor of the times what it takes to rile people up in this internet age where there's so much unfiltered product out there to rile people. So that becomes the point then, Kaylee, yeah. just to go viral, right? I guess. Just get a viral moment, doesn't matter what the hearing's no, that, And that's a pretty high return for a lot of these Congress yeah. people like for their day. They can raise a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's how you do the email fundraising. Ironically, one of the way things the Republicans have done while they don't have anything better to do, is censure Adam Schiff, which, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, has wound up being this total right. bonanza for him. he's raised a him. ton of money off of it. He's raised a ton of money, and he's running for Senate in California, where, which is where a state where money is more important than anywhere else because it's so large. Well, Mike, as you're talking about the inability of Congress to get much done, there is a lot that they haven't been able to get done, including in the Senate, 
a lot of confirmations of nominees or promotions hundreds. of people in the military, hundreds at this point, because of the blockade of Senator Tuberville, Joe. Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. You know, we played tape of you yesterday, the defense secretary asking him directly to end the blockade. Mm-hmm. It's impacting military readiness, he says. And uh, Bloomberg caught up with the senator this morning on he Capitol did. Hill. I got a letter of 5,000 veterans uh, that CNN fully supporting, 5,000. So uh, talked to a lot of constituents, some against. Phone calls have been ringing, majority for uh, 60% of the uh, people in this country were, uh, were for not having abortions paid for, anything to do with abortion, 60% Republicans and Democrats. So I guess he's going to stick with it. But, not, Mike, not backing down. a lot of people have been forced to weigh in on this issue, including the governor of Florida, mm-hmm. neighboring state, yeah, from where the senator Just is morning. from. And he was asked about this, and it didn't seem like he was opposed to what the senator is doing. No, it, it he didn't quite, as I understand it, I haven't listened to the whole show, but from what I've read about it, mm-hmm. didn't quite come out and endorse the military blockade. But he did endorse what Tuberville's doing overall. Close. We've got that. Uh, we've got that part of the conversation. Listen to Ron DeSantis. Republicans and, and the Congress should just take a stand on this. They, the, the DOD should stand down. Uh, we have all these other problems in our military. Uh, you know, we need more ammunition. Uh, we need more recruiting. We need all these other things, and yet they're focusing on abortion tourism. So that'll be an easy thing for me. Day one as Commander in Chief, that policy will go out the window. Sounds like he's hanging out with Tommy Tuberville. Yeah, it does sound like that. He, You didn't hear him quite say we shouldn't promote anyone right. to the rank of general or admiral, mm-hmm. and we should totally lock down any promotion of uh, flag or, or um, general officers in the military, which is Tuberville's mm-hmm. position. But this abortion issue is, you know, intensely personal to people on both sides. It's highly motivating. Alabama is a very red, culturally conservative state. You would think that um, gumming up the military would be problematic, but in these times, people um, care about this issue a lot, and neither side's that interested in backing down. Sound like you talk about Disney, Kaylee. Yeah, it did. You could just substitute that. Very much so. You know? Um, I'll be curious to hear if now every presidential candidate needs to weigh in on this in the next 24 hours. I wouldn't be surprised. If they do, you'll hear it here. (laughs) Mike, thanks for coming over. Great to see you. Bloomberg News Deputy Congressional Editor on messaging hearings that are not going to be ending anytime soon. Uh, Read about the uh, the RFK uh, testimony on the terminal if you're interested in what actually took place in the room here defending himself against complaints of racist and anti-Semitic online misinformation. You'll have... Uh, a deeper dive on your terminal. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It was 54 years ago today that the world heard this for the first time. That's one small step for man, one Yes, the great Neil Armstrong upon the moon landing that, you know, Kaylee Lines to this day, some people still think was staged. <laughs> I'll never get over that. We're not going to explore all sorts of things, that Joe. today. No, of course they do. And imagine if that happened now. I mean, it would, you know. Mm. Especially with AI, am I right? Right. <laughs> it would be AI and it was fake and Elon did it or I don't know what. But um, it's an opportunity to take stock of where we are here because we have a very successful space program, one that was considered to be, at least in terms of human spaceflight, on the rocks at the end of the shuttle program. We were paying Russia to get to the International Space Station, and boy, things have changed a lot. Kaylee, you can't turn on Bloomberg without seeing a rocket launch about every other day now. Yeah. And we're actually, you know, we're, we're, we're building our own rocket again to return to the moon and eventually Mars. So uh, it's kind of the golden years of space all over again as we mark this important anniversary. We thought we'd bring in uh, Keith Cowing once again, the editor of SpaceRef.com, formerly with NASA. Keith has helped us through a couple of good milestones in uh, space flight over the past couple of months, and it's great to have you back, Keith. First of all, happy anniversary, I guess I should say Likewise. to you. Uh, well, I remember it. Were you all um, alive? I'm so happy I'm to say that I was not alive. In, no. So right. did you watch it on TV? Yeah, I was fourteen. I was I I it took off when I was at Boy Scout camp. I rushed home. Oh, that's so cool. I just sat there, you know, for three days watching the whole thing. That's so cool. Hmm. Uh, I'm jealous actually, uh, because it it's been since then, since the Apollo program, right? That we've we haven't had a rocket of this size that we're working on now to go back to the, the Artemis program since the old uh, Saturn V rockets. We're getting back into the business of deep space exploration, Keith. Yeah, it's sort of like deja vu. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is, you know, all these questions about, you know, did we go and who's going to go back and all that? Yeah. You know, two thirds of the people alive today have never seen a human walk on another world live. So when we do it in two, yeah. three, four years, it's like doing the same thing again for the second, first time. Because yeah, well, it, for them, it's it, for you guys, it's your first moon landing. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, like sitting in the studio raising my hand right now, Keith. Like, yes, I want to see it for real. So well, when see, am I go. going to? You just you just kind of gave a year range, two, three, four years. What realistically is the timeline and who's going to be doing it? Am I going to be watching well, U.S. guys back on the moon or is another country going to beat uh, us to it? Well, it, you know, 
it depends on which schedule you look at, which day of the week, and which PR you believe. Uh, <laughs> NASA stuff, NASA is a budget problem right now, not necessarily with the moon program, but with other stuff. And they've had developmental issues with the rocket and all that. Long story short, um, you know, when we're going to have people on the moon again from the U.S., probably several years, it's probably going to be delayed again. 2028 probably is a good number to aim at, hmm. although 27 might happen. And, of course, China's saying, hey, over here, we're going to yeah, do it by right. 2030. Mm-hmm. Now, they might do it earlier. We might be later. So, you know, all I can say is I, I was asked this once on TV on an Asian network, you know, who's going to get back to this? Well, we already did it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm glad you if, said if, that. So, all right, if China goes back and they're the first ones to go back, we'll just be landing next to them in our big American lander and roll down the window and say, where do y'all want us to park? I mean, everybody's going back to every, everybody's going back to the moon. You know, it's no not doubt. just us. I mean, Israel, India, and Japan, and God knows everybody. So this is like the song that you guys didn't hear growing up, and that's everyone's gone to the moon. That's <laughs> really what's happening now. That's so great. And after all, we painted the parking spots up there, Keith. Yeah, and we left a yeah we left our bag of astronaut poo and the flags that have faded oh, and you know all that's the things that you know we forgot about. But you know. <laughs> You know, they told me when I was growing up that we'd be landing on the moon by, you know, the time I was in high school. Well, we did it. Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, Mars by 1981. No. Well, you know, that's the other date you ought to ask me about. And the answer is, I don't know. Uh, oh. But I'll be, probably be in the <laughs> 80s when I should have been in my 20s. So there's a lot of us boomers out here who are really frustrated. And it's like, <laughs> hurry up before we die. <laughs> Keith, I got to ask you, though, as you're talking about the fact that we have already done this, why do we need to prioritize doing it again? Why not just focus on Mars, right? Like, why is getting back to the moon so important? Well, that's an excellent question. And the answer is a historical parallel to this. When the two, the British and the Norwegian teams walked to the South Pole back in 1912, um, the next time anybody did that was 50 years later. They flew over it, Mm -hmm. but they didn't make that... When they went back a second time, they went back with tractors and all kinds of gear that didn't exist. Mm. So we're going back to the moon now, not just to pick up where we left off, but we're going to stay. And if you're going to go to Mars, and I've been on expeditions to the Arctic and the Himalayas, you don't want to do your homework there. You want to do it before you leave in your backyard. Just my tent. Can I set my tent up in my backyard at night, you know, before I go to the Arctic? Right. So we're going to so go that back becomes the, the way station, then. That's the gas station on the way to Mars, right? Well, that that's the thing. Um, the South Pole, the moon, and by the way, everybody wants to go there. India's lander may go there. China's lander is going to go there. We're going to go there. Yeah. There's water in the regolith. It's not dirt, but it's sort of ground rock, and there's water in there. And if you can extract that, that's A, rocket fuel to get home, and B, if you're going to stay there for a while, which is the point, you can use that as part of the atmosphere and you know, whatever else you need to grow plants and to keep your salads on your plate and keep you happy. So we're going back to stay. And that's the thing. When Once you sort of get the idea mm-hmm. of what's it like to live on the moon for a couple of years straight, yeah. oh my God. you probably figure it out. All right, now we're ready movie. to go to the Mars. We solved a few of the medical problems and the life support and all that. Or we could just go to Mars and like Elon wants to do and, you know, cross your fingers. <laughs> right. Wow. Keith, I hope like heck you get to see this happen. Oh, uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> He's the editor of SpaceRef.com. Yes, my walker. that's fine. We'll, we'll have virtual we have reality. It'll be like you're there. Don't even worry. You can't yeah. believe you're walking on the moon yourself. Keith Cowing, love talking with the editor of SpaceRef.com. 
He always makes us laugh, Kaylee. He does. I loved that segment. <laughs> 54 for the record, years ago today. Yes. Don't sign me up for going to the moon, but I would gladly watch you do it, Jeff. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not getting in that line. With Kaylee Lines, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is the fastest show in politics. With some final thoughts straight ahead. Thanks again to Keith and everybody chiming in this hour. We'll let you know what happens with the next mission to the moon. Covering NASA from Washington every day here on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Some final thoughts here on a story that I, I, I was remiss to not mention yesterday. I mean, really, I feel I'm kind of embarrassed, Kaylee. <laughs> Everyone knows the third Wednesday in July. Everyone is National Hot Dog Day. It started here in Washington. The North American Meat Institute would do this annual hot dog lunch in Washington for lawmakers and staff. And it was such a thing, around 50 years, that they codified it, third Wednesday in July, National Hot Dog Day. Yeah. And you know who was really excited about it yesterday? It was the, the senator from Utah, Mitt Romney. Yeah. Out with a video. He's wearing a hot dog hat. and He's holding a hot dog. With ketchup on it. Fully loaded. Well, as you all know, today is National Hot Dog Day. And uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. In I buns. love them outside of buns. Outside I love of buns. them with baked beans. I just beans. like hot dogs. It's the best you know, best meat there is, without best question. Meat. So to all of you who, like me, are celebrating uh, National hot, hot Dog Day, uh, congratulations to you, and may there be many, many more hot dogs served thank you. in our wonderful land. Very, well, thank you in this wonderful land. Joe, do you like your hot dogs? In a bun? <laughs> Inside buns or outside buns? Um, so I said, you know, I've never, I love this that you can't speak. This is the best moment ever with Kaylee Lines. I just want to let this ride for a minute. <laughs> do you put ketchup on the hot dog? Mm. Are you one of those? I'm not. You put mustard on a hot dog. <laughs> you don't eat hot dogs. If, if I have a choice, I'm going for the burger. But I'm so happy for the senator that yeah. he loves hot well, dogs. Well, I so think much. he needs to talk to Dirty Harry. Corruption, apathy, and red tape. No, that doesn't bother me. No. But you know what does bother me? What's that? What? You know what makes me really sick to my stomach? What's what? that? It's watching you stuff your face with those hot dogs. Nobody, I mean nobody, puts ketchup on a hot dog. Congratulations, as the senator said, on this hot dog day. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.